Welcome back, everybody, to The Luke Beasley Show. Before we jump into today's news, let me just remind you to be subscribed to the podcast, drop a five-star rating and some sort of review. That would be greatly appreciated. Now let's jump in. In the wake of everything that happened during January 6th, uh, Donald Trump trying to overturn the lawful election results and spreading a lie that led to people storming the Capitol, um, and of course, all of the repercussions of that, many people, especially on the left, but you would hope everyone across the country would share this sentiment, is really curious if the things that Trump did violated the law, which I believe they did. Um, I do not believe it is lawful for a president uh, to try to subvert the will of the people, stay in power, regardless of the election results or against the election results. I don't think that's something that is lawful or intended in the um, Constitution, etc. So, with that being said, if you believe that he violated the law, the next big question is, will the DOJ prosecute him? There's a few different criminal investigations going on, and so people are looking towards the, the DOJ to federally uh, prosecute him, but people are also keeping their eye on the Georgia investigation centered around that call he had where he asked for 11,000 votes. Come on, give me 11,000 votes. But uh, because the DOJ is being looked at, obviously Merrick Garland, the attorney general, is kind of front and center. And for a long time, just based on his public uh, comments on this, it seemed like there wasn't much urgency. Now, with investigations such as these, of course, it's going to be done in private. And I actually am not someone who's like, oh, Merrick Garland sucks. He's not doing anything because we don't know. Now, it's kind of a tough situation to be in because if we get multiple uh, months down the line and still don't see anything, yes, Merrick Garland is going to be uh, someone we need to blame for that, but it all could be happening right now just behind closed doors. Obviously, why would he come out and give any specifics? But we did recently see in a CNN interview the most kind of obvious hint towards that being the direction that the DOJ is headed towards from Merrick Garland himself that I've seen. Maybe he said similar comments in the past. I just haven't seen them. This was a pretty obvious nod to the fact that he will uh, or is going after Donald Trump and does think there's evidence for it. Uh, so we'll see. Obviously, he still stayed kind of vague with his language, but um, we'll watch and you guys can, of course, let me know what you think in the comments and we'll discuss afterwards do justice without fear or favor. We intend to hold everyone, anyone who was criminally responsible for the events surrounding January 6th for any attempt to interfere with the lawful transfer of power from one administration to another accountable. That's what we do. That line was what really perked my ears up. He says, anyone who interfered in the lawful, peaceful transition of power uh, from one administration to another. That's more than just saying anyone who caused violence on January 6th, anyone who, all these things that could apply to other people. The first person that's going to come to your mind when you think who was trying to interfere with a lawful transition of uh, power from one administration to another. Donald Trump. So the fact that he threw that in there did, to me, make it clear that he was indicating Trump is the person he's alluding to. We don't pay any attention to other uh, issues with respect to that. So if Donald Trump were to become a candidate for president again, that would not change your schedule or, or how you move forward or don't move forward? Uh-huh. Before we let him answer this, 
The reason he's asking that is there's been reporting coming out recently that Donald Trump is wanting to announce uh, his candidacy for president in 2024 sooner rather than later so that these criminal investigations can't land on him. He thinks he'll have kind of a shield around him if he's running for president because people will be afraid to try to prosecute a presidential candidate. And so it's interesting that uh, Lawrence O'Donnell's asking this and also interesting how Merrick Garland responds. Say again that... uh we will hold accountable anyone who is criminally responsible for attempting to interfere with the transfer of legitimate lawful transfer of power from one administration to the next. So he sticks with what he previously said. Again, using that phrase, the lawful transition of power from one administration to another uh, and the infer- interference with that is interesting because that's really the role that Trump played. I think there's an argument to be made about could you actually pin on him uh, the riling up the, of the crowd to go to the Capitol? Was it really his intention that they stormed the Capitol or was it just a big protest he wanted? I think that would be really hard to prove in court. But is it hard to prove in court that he was trying to interfere with the lawful transition of power from one administration to the, to the next? No, that would be very easy to prove. He explicitly said things uh, to that effect out in the open, that he was not going to respect that transition of power, that his intention was to stay in power uh, and keep his administration as the administration in the White House, even though that was not uh, a reflection of the election results that were proven time and time again to be free and fair and not have anywhere enough uh, fraud to affect the election at all. So fascinating stuff. I am curious to see if Merrick Garland keeps pushing like this. I don't think he needs to talk publicly, just do it all behind closed doors, but then present us with a really good outcome. Um, And of course, by good, I just mean a justice-based outcome that is equivalent to whatever laws you can prove that Trump violated. Um, and I do think in a democracy, obviously everyone screams republic. I hear that so often. Yes, a democratic republic. So a government that's supposed to have a democratic representation, you should not have a situation where a president, the top person in power, can attempt to stay in power even whenever the election went the, up- the opposite way and not be held accountable for it. You cannot have that be allowed in a democratic uh, society where the most powerful person, the most powerful person does not respect the very democracy they're representing. So interesting stuff, and we will continue to follow it very closely. One of the aspects of the plot by Donald Trump and his allies to stay in power that has been focused on is this fake electors scheme. So the idea was with our current process for electing the president, uh, the state legislatures, based on the vote in their state, send electors to Washington to cast their vote um, as a part of the Electoral College for whoever the presidential candidate was that won that state. And that's an official process, like I said, that goes through the state legislature. So the idea that people close to Trump had was, hey, instead of them counting the actual electors who actually represent the vote that happened in their state. What if we just go and say we're the electors and we just sign some bogus form saying we're the electors and cause a situation where people in the Senate and in Congress and 
Mike Pence possibly, could use these other electors as an excuse to say, oh, clearly there's some discrepancies here. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Clearly there's some confusion. Let's send it back to the states or whatever they wanted to happen or just recognize those electors uh, fraudulently and pretend that those are the correct people casting their vote for Trump, even though Biden won that state. So more and more information has come out about it. And an interesting article, article from the Washington Post is laying out some new information that came out of investigations into this that revealed some emails that were correspondence between different people organizing this scheme to pretend to be fake electors to try to keep Trump in power. So uh, let's take a look at that. In recent months, the various investigations into January 6th have increasingly zeroed in on the fake electors for President Donald Trump. In states that Trump lost, the fake electors were people who claimed they were duly chosen, something he later tried to leverage to get Vice President Mike Pence to help overturn the election on that fateful day. So again, the idea was, if we can at least have these other electors that we claim to be the correct ones, even if we don't recognize those through the official process, because how would you even do that? That would be at least enough of an excuse for Mike Pence to say that he isn't able to certify the proper election results. Continuing on, but both... When they were de designated on December 14th, 2020, and since, these fake electors have almost always been described as a contingency plan in this whole process. So what they lay out there is, initially, it seemed like this wasn't the primary plot by any means, but it was kind of just another little thing on the side, a contingency plan, as they called it. But then, continuing on, new evidence, though, suggests that at least some involved might have understood the fake elector plan differently from very early in the process. A New York Times report details a batch of new emails related to the fake elector plot. Figuring prominently is a Phoenix-based lawyer who worked with the Trump campaign, Jack Willenchik. Willenchik corresponded with Trump campaign advisor Boris Epstein and others on December 8th, according to the Times report. In one email, he outright refers to the electors, listen to this, as fake electors before later suggesting that the more, oh my gosh, the more palatable uh, phrase would be alternate electors. So to kind of give you the summary of that, this Will and Chick dude and the Boris Epstein dude are talking over email and referring to this idea of sending other electors to Washington to pretend that they represent the state's vote as fake electors. They were calling these people fake electors in this plot they were coming up with themselves, recognizing these aren't the legitimate electors. This is a complete fraudulent process trying to uh, claim Trump to be the winner when he wasn't. And then at one point they say, hey, maybe we should call it alternate electors. That's maybe a little bit more palatable than fake electors. Many have suggested that this line shows that those involved knew these electors were fake to begin with. However, Will and Chick used the word in quotation marks, perhaps suggesting he was borrowing someone else's word. But perhaps the more striking development is how he described their purpose. Here we go. Quote, we would just be sending in fake electoral votes to Pence so that someone in Congress can make an objection when they start counting votes and start arguing that the fake votes should be counted. He summarized a proposal by Trump allied lawyer Kenneth Chesebro as uh, designating the fake electors so that members of com Congress can fight about whether they should be counted on January 6th. So now we're getting the evidence behind what we knew was going on. People who wanted to keep Trump in power were coming up with a plot to pretend there's these other electors that they were even referring to as fake electors so that 
people in Congress could have some justification to go, hey, listen, uh, I think we should recognize those electors because they represent what I believe happened in that state. And then that would throw us into a constitutional crisis where this process that's just supposed to be kind of ceremoniously certifying the next president. Uh, Congress is saying, yes, we recognize that the executive branch is now going to be taken over by this new administration. You're taking that process and preventing it from happening, but there's no guidelines for, well, what happens then? It, uh, the president isn't certified. Of course, we do know uh, that when a president can't be formally elected and all that type of stuff, and there's an issue in the process, you can get the House of Representatives involved, and they cast their votes um, for president instead. But you would have thrown us into a serious constitutional crisis by preventing the normal lawful process to go through, uh, where Joe Biden was recognized as the next president of the United States. And so this was one plot among many that they had to try to do that. And it was more in the center of their plan than I think we previously thought. As you can see here, they wanted to create some of this confusion and create a plan for fake electors to go to Washington, pretend um, that they represented their state's uh, vote so that Pence and people in Congress would have an excuse to not certify the election results. Of course, we know Pence didn't go along with that, um, and this didn't really go the way that they had planned, but they knew what they were doing to the point where they were referring to the, this plan as fake, fake electors. Wild, wild, and scary stuff. During a speech at a Turning Point USA uh, event over the weekend, Matt Gates, well known for his possible involvement in a sex trafficking situation, said that Mike Pence is never going to become president. Of course, ever since Mike Pence didn't go along with Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the election results, a lot of people in kind of the MAGA movement have turned on Pence, even though he was loyal to Trump each step of the way until then. And Matt Gates is going along with that and saying, listen, Pence one thing I know for sure, he's never going to be president, which is probably, you know, that's a fine thing to say. It's true. Pence is probably never going to be president. But it was really, really interesting because that clip of Matt Gates was played and uh, on a on a TV program. And Mark Short, who was uh, Mike Pence's chief of staff, so uh, Mike Pence loyalist, presumably, had to respond to it. They played the clip for him to respond to. And he had just the best, most slam dunk response to Matt Gates. Uh, let's take a look. On that note, let me just say what everybody here knows. Mike Pence will never be president. <laughs> nice guy, not a leader. Mark? Well, I don't know if Mike Pence will run for president in 2024, but I don't think Matt Gates will have an impact on that. In fact, I'd be surprised if he was still voting. It's more likely he'll be in prison for child sex trafficking by 2024. And I'm actually surprised that Florida law enforcement still allows him to speak to teenage conferences like that. So I'm not too worried about Matt Gates. Thanks. Ooh, hit him right in the gut. Uh, true. I, I don't think we should care too much about what Matt Gates says, and there is a good chance, based on the investigations into him right now, uh, that he possibly won't be able to vote in 2024. It is very confusing that it has taken so long for any more progress publicly to be announced on this investigation, uh, but we know a lot came out. The guy who was super, super close to Matt Gates giving up a lot of information into the possible underage sex trafficking that Matt Gates did. So, Bad guy, 
obviously that's still technically all alleged so we don't know for sure but regardless of that matt gates seems like a pretty pretty bad guy so watching someone who is even though mark short and i aren't gonna necessarily get along he's uh, probably a lifelong republican um I get along with lots of Republicans, but I'm saying in our policies, we're not going to get along. But watching him slam dunk like that on Matt Gates and saying, listen, before I even get to your question, because I don't even know if Mike Pence is going to run, let me just say, I don't care what Matt Gates has to say, which I think every time Matt Gates talks, tweets, whatever, we should be reminding him of the fact that we don't care what you have to say, alleged sex trafficker. Good stuff. But to the point of Mike Pence possibly running for president and possibly having a chance, just to quickly look at recent polling on that, based on the compilation of multiple polls, this one, when you include Trump in the running, you have Pence at close to 10% of the vote. Trump's at 53%, DeSantis is at 24%, and Pence is at 9.7%, so almost 10%. So yeah, that's not great. I don't think he has a chance of beating Trump or DeSantis at all. I think the Republican Party has moved too much in the direction of Trump, of all of those um, lies that he's telling that someone like Pence, who even though he's super conservative, super right wing, has at least enough of a moral bone in his body to recognize whenever an election doesn't go his way and recognize uh, whenever such a blatant lie as the ones Trump was telling about the election is just that. So I think the fact that he went against Trump in all the 2020 stuff is going to tank his chances of any uh, possible run, just kind of as a second thing, uh, or he could run, but a, a possible victory. When you take Trump out of the running, let's say he decides not to, DeSantis is now at 38% and Pence is at 145 So you know, let's say 38% to 15% uh, with Pence as the second place option. So 15% before you've even announced, it's not bad. You can make a lot of ground off of that, especially when there are a lot of Republican options being uh, floated. But I, I don't think he would have a chance if DeSantis tried to run. And, and so we're in an interesting moment where it looks like over half the Republican Party is no longer on board with Trump. But that doesn't mean they want someone like Pence, who represents a little bit more of the old guard Republican, they might want someone who is unhinged enough, like DeSantis, who can really uh, score those seriously right-wing victories. Even though, again, Pence would do a lot of really conservative stuff, I think he has lost their favor because he didn't want to overturn the 2020 election. So that's just kind of a little side note because uh, the two kind of were beefing over the possibility of Mike Pence running. But um, I don't think he has a good chance. I still love seeing Matt Gates dunked on, though. We're now going to talk about something pretty disturbing. Uh, a report came out about a busted plot um, by an individual who happens to be a former Marine. I don't think this is at all supposed to be a message about anti-Marine stuff. This is just someone who happened to be a Marine who has a horrible ideology. And to the Marines' credit, they did kick him out or... Um, remove him from the Marines based on this ideology from what I understand. Um, but this individual had such horrible racist ideas and beliefs and a social group that confirmed and bolstered those beliefs that he was planning on shooting up a synagogue or attacking a synagogue um, and had a lot of other racist, murdering, raping fantasies that he wanted to carry out. Um, to the FBI's credit, they busted it. They prevented what was going to happen, which is a really uh, good thing. Let's go ahead and take a look. Reading from NBC, a former Marine is accused of leading a neo-Nazi group that was allegedly planning on attack on an attack on a New York synagogue. Uh, Matthew 
Bellinger is charged with gun charges and could spend up to 20 years in prison if convicted according to court documents. Of course, we're waiting on this to go through the courts. So um, in that sense, it's not 100% confirmed, but this is what has been revealed from the FBI. The FBI began investigating Bellinger, I might be pronouncing that wrong, because they suspected he was planning to harm people and destroy property and hate-motivated attacks according to court documents filed this month. Quote, the investigation was grounded in evidence that the uh, defendant was using social media to conspire with others, including members of a group called Rape Krieg. Rape Krieg is the name of the organization to commit hate crimes, the document said. Listen, this is just horrible stuff. The group based on Long Island. So this is a racist group had procured weapons, uniforms, and tactical gear and discussed committing attacks on a synagogue, Jewish persons, women, and minorities, including the rape of enemies to injure, oppress, threaten, and intimidate, and the rape of white women to increase the population of white children in furtherance of Rape Creek's goal of creating a white ethnostate through accelerationist means. So we'll continue on in a second here, but this is an ideology that's growing, actually. Obviously, uh, you think about the, the KKK, okay? A time in American history where there was this very popular, uh, social group that was centered around a hate for people based on their race. And we think about that type of group interactions on the decline in the United States, typically. But there's actually this resurgence in recent years of people joining up groups and adopting these ideologies that truly believe that other people are less than them because they are of a different race or a different gender. And even to the point where you hear in online spaces, if you're someone who consumes a lot of political content online, a massive growth of these online right-wing figures, and I just want to be clear because I always you know, want to be nuanced in my discussions around this. This is a very, very far-right group. Plenty of people who consider themselves conservative, even very right-wing, don't subscribe to this. So, that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about a very, very, very far right strand of the more general right. Okay. Um, but you'll see these right wing figures online who literally advocate for ethno states, who advocate that, uh, white people need to be protecting their own and trying to grow their own population. And that's why immigration's bad and all of these things. This is on the rise right now, especially in online circles and uh, other people would have to speak to other circles, but those are the ones that I'm aware of the most. And so the reason I'm covering this story is because it's so important that we recognize these harmful ideologies. And then obviously the FBI in this case uh, prevented this particular attack and these individuals, but recognizing the larger pattern that we're seeing of people who hold these horrible hateful ideologies and trying to address that, trying to figure out how we can prevent um, people from being radicalized into that. Um, super important to prevent harm, of course. Um, so let's continue reading. Other members of the group identified Bellinger as a leader and administrator of the group who had written, they spell it differently in this article, it's Rape Creek right here and then spelled differently here, but in that group's manifesto. Quote, rape, for example, is an extremely effective tool. This is from their manifesto. An extremely effective tool against our many foes as its verbal use as a threat or direct use against an individual greatly reduces enemy mor uh, morale and strikes a nameless fear in their hearts. Read part of the manifesto according to court documents. While this is especially effective against females, the emasculated cesspool of progressive males is just as effective, being inherently effeminate themselves. So you can hear so many 
many of these talking points that are now becoming way too popular in this super far right space where they talk constantly about how, oh, you know, liberal ideology is making people more effeminate. And because of that, in this case scenario, they're talking about rape for those individuals. And then in many cases, they have this obsession with using the violent action of raping someone as some sort of attack on an enemy of theirs to strike fear into their hearts. Disgusting, disgusting stuff. One more horrible detail from this. Um, again, outlining the idea, the ideology that is leading this group to wanting to attack a synagogue. Uh, quote, if you have any doubts, just this is. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, this is horrifying. If you have any doubts about being able to pull the trigger on a Jewish child, then you are not mentally prepared for the level of violence that the first world collapses will bring. To be successful in this battle for survival, the white man must learn to hate seeing red the moment he lays his eyes on a member of the race that he has inflicted unspeakable horrors onto his people. Okay. So we're going to stop there. There's a lot more you can look into it yourself, but um, just recognizing that this ideology exists in America is prevalent enough where people are able to build social groups around it. And uh, again, credit to the FBI for busting this whole plan up, preventing it from happening. Um, but it's super scary because even though more prominent right wing figures don't use this specific of language and I don't even think they necessarily have this horrible of ambitions. They do perpetuate the idea that, hey, you should take pride in being a, a white person. And you should look out for your own and you should care about the uh, white people being a smaller percentage of the United States than they were in previous generations and all these things that is harmful because that should not be how we're dividing ourselves up at all. We should not be trying to uh, pit each other against, pit ourselves against one another based on the color of our skin. Um, as simple of a concept as that, uh, as that is, clearly it's super difficult for people to truly buy into that idea that we are all individual, we're all valuable, we all um, should have the ability to connect with one another and love one another and not do so based on each other's race. So horrible stuff. It's an ideology that needs to be completely outcasted from society and and clearly we're not doing a good enough job of that right now. And I think part of that comes down to how do we catch people before they get there? How do we prevent the radical radicalization um, to that super far right ideology. And that starts with uh, really being critical of the more prominent right wing figures who aren't perpetuating that, but they are kind of perpetuating this fear of you being replaced by non-white people and no white populations going down and that's bad. And that needs to be heavily criticized because it's what leads people to eventually getting to this type of ideology. To be clear, it's perfectly fine. I'm going to disagree with you if you have like irrational fears about, oh, there's too much immigration, blah, 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 blah. If it's genuine, genuinely that because you think, you know, incorrectly that that causes more a massive level of unemployment, if it causes them to take your jobs and stuff like that, we can talk about that. And then that's not what I'm saying. You can have genuine critiques of our immigration system. You can believe there's too much of it. All of those things are not what I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to people who use the conversation of immigration to say it's bad because it's replacing white people. It's bad because the white uh, population is now proportionally less in the United States than it used to be. That's what I'm criticizing. And that's what I think leads to this a uh, healthy, even if incorrect critique or uh, issue with 
the way the immigration currently goes is is not what I'm speaking to right now. I want to be clear on that. I'm not saying you can't criticize the level of immigration we have now without being called this guy. Of course not. But people are going farther than that and they are trying to attach it to being white. And that's what's threatened is the white people. And that cannot be uh, accepted. An interesting moment happened on Fox News when Senate candidate Tim Ryan was asked if he would support Joe Biden in a 2024 bid. And he kind of just ignored the question. <laughs> he said, oh, I don't want to speak to that right now. I'm focused on my own race. We'll get to that when we get to it, which is a fine response. And I think that's exactly what he should be saying. But I think it represents usually an incumbent president who has the ability to run again and has said they're planning on it, will get the support of people in their own party saying, yeah, if they're the nominee, I will, uh, or if they choose to run, I'll support them. And that's been the response of most people who say, if Joe Biden runs, I'll support them. Just like, you know, Bernie Sanders says that still. But I think people are recognizing, especially those like Tim Ryan, who is running in uh, Ohio, so a very purple state, um, recognizing that maybe distancing himself from Biden is a good move because of how unpopular Biden is right now. So we're going to get to in a second Biden's unpo unpopularity and how this might be a larger move of people in the Democratic Party trying to distance themselves from uh, Biden in their midterm races. But first, let's just watch this moment that happened on Fox News. Final question to you. There was the first presidential primary state New Hampshire poll. It came out yesterday and it showed support for this president, President Joe Biden, uh, for his reelection. It is plummeting. In fact, it suggested that Biden and Buttigieg are now tied in a hypothetical 2024 presidential primary matchup. Do you support the president in his reelection bid? I'm working on my own election and that's all I'm focused on right now. We've got a little under four months here in Ohio and we're running a great campaign. We're up in the polls and working really hard. So I'm just going to focus on that and then we can chat about that uh, after I win and, and get in the United States Senate. I'll be happy to comment. Well, it, I think it, it was it was noted that, that the president held a, uh, an event there in your state recently, <clears throat> a speech on the economy, I believe, if my memory serves me, and you didn't show. That was certainly a message you were sending, right? Well, it was an event where we saved 100,000 pensions in Ohio through the rescue package, which was significant. Many of those Teamsters, working class people, it was a great thing. But I, I had commitments in Southern Ohio, and I'm mm -hmm. not going to back out on uh, normal Ohioans, average Ohio. I will say, don't ever say normal when you're a politician talking about your constituents or talking about, you know, average voters, the everyday voter. When people say normal... <laughs> It reminds me of those TV shows where, uh, like Veep or something, where they're just so disconnected. They're like, okay, I need to go shake the hands of normal people. Uh, give me a photo shoot with some normal people. I don't know why. Just normal makes it sound like you think of them as just different, a different species. But anyways, continuing. Iowans to like a, a schedule that I had and then leave them to go see the president. Like, I'm not doing that stuff. These are great people and I'm going to, I'm going to keep my meetings, but we got to get focused on the economy and that's what we're doing in rural areas as well. And that's where I've been campaigning. So yeah. I'm not going to. So uh, I think that's interesting. I don't know. I might be reading too much into it, but it's pretty interesting when a candidate running uh, in a certain party doesn't 
want to clearly say if the president, who's currently president, who may be running for re-election, chooses to, if he'll support them or not. Kind of interesting. And I do think, like I said, it points to uh, people within the Democratic Party recognizing Joe Biden's kind of toxic right now. uh, And I think I can get more benefits from just making the race about only me and not about me representing Biden's agenda or the Democratic Party's agenda because it's not looking so good right now. Uh, And it looks like Tim Tim Ryan's running a good race, you know, in a state that isn't some big blue bastion, he's doing really well. And that's good news. So quickly to get to Joe Biden's polling and why maybe Tim Ryan is afraid to um, attach his name to Biden very heavily. You can see here from 538. Now Biden's approvals all the way down to 38.4%. That is brutal. 38.4% approval, 56.4% disapproval. So that might be it. When you're running in a, a um, a state where the majority of the people that you're trying to win over likely aren't going to have the most favorable uh, view of Joe Biden. Maybe you don't come out and attach your name to him. Maybe you don't say that you're supporting him and his race. Now, do I think this level of disapproval for Biden is warranted? I don't. I think a lot of the factors that are causing people to uh, disapprove of him are economic related and those economic factors would have been at play with any president just based on the horrible economic conditions that kind of spiraled out of control after the pandemic that would have happened under any any president. But I think it's smart if you're a Democrat and you're trying to run your own race to be cognizant of the fact that Biden is very unpopular right now. And maybe you have a better chance of running your race and being successful in it if you don't be seen, you know, with linked arms (laughs) with him um, too much. So interesting stuff. I think Biden needs to do something because if he's unpopular, that is going to hurt Democrats in the midterms. I think he needs to attempt to get some sort of victory, some sort of representation of the fact that he is working on behalf of people. He is trying to make their economic conditions better, but with the political situation we have in the Senate, it's tough to do that. And I recognize that for sure. So he should be trying to pump out executive orders that are popular as well. Um, and just rhetorically going out and fighting for stuff he believes in, but we're not seeing that to the extent that we should. That's unfortunate and interesting moment all around from Tim Ryan. That concludes today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review, and I'll see you tomorrow.